Hello, and welcome to The Gardens, located in sunny The Gardens is one of the largest combined zoological habitat and theme parks in the world. With over 72 thrilling attractions and nearly 11,000 animals in our care, we know that every member of your family will find something incredible each time you visit. But that's just the start of your adventure. To really see what the park has to offer, I'll turn you over to our top two guides. Take it away, boys. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of Kay Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And we've got a hell of a show for you tonight, folks. Do we really? No. Is that is that a promise you're willing to make nope. right here? Terrible episode. I don't know. It, it it probably won't stand up against the uh, now famous Andalite Chronicles episode. You know, you joke, but wow, a lot of people listen to the Andalite Chronicles episode so far. I think people were waiting on it specifically. It's doing well. It's it's like that uh like that really popular seasonal kind of serial that only comes around every so often. You know? Yeah. It's just flying off shelves. I just feel bad for the other episodes that came before it, you know. They they did well. People listened to them, but they must be looking pretty disappointedly over at Andalite Chronicles numbers. Yeah, I don't know. People are going to listen to whatever book interested them the most, I think. Or there's the hardcore, the, the diehard fans that are following us week to week, you know. It's like a journey. We're We're all on a journey together. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely sticking around. Uh, which is good because I think we're in that eight episode arc of just excellent books or at least really important mythology books somewhat. Uh, yeah, they're they're definitely coming up with a little bit more clever ways to uh, throw these children into, you know, danger. <laughs> mortal peril. Specifically, the next few books, they they really have a hard time staying alive. For the most part, I mean, they all make it because you know they're the animorphs and they know what they're doing. But uh, no, I'm pretty sure they they all bite the dust in uh, somewhere around book uh, thirty one or two, and then the rest of the books are all just the Yerks invasion without anybody there to stop them. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I mean, if there was some other series or if the, uh, K. Applegate continued the series, um, I think it works out for these books the fact that they all survived because they became like these legends of the war against the Yurks, you know, they're, they're these legendary soldiers. That's kind of where they're at at the end of the series. Uh, but if they did another series, I think if you're really going to try to pull off, you know, a war and that war scenario, you have to have people lost along the way, like badly lost and like quick, like out of nowhere. Um, I think that's something this series is lacking quite a bit. Well, this series is afraid to uh, still kill humans at this point, as demonstrated clearly in this book. No, not necessarily. They kill tons of humans. What are you talking about? Human no, controllers no, die mean, left and I right. I mean, when it comes down to it, and it's the kids and some human controllers, they're not going to just go battle morph and mess them up. They're still in this mindset where they're like, we got to run from humans. And that's good, because they lose that. In not even that much longer of a time period within the series, so... Well, I can't wait. <laughs> but that's good. I like that that we have that transition of, uh, you know, at the beginning of the series, they're naive. We even have the Andalite Chronicles pushing it down our throats, that war is about killing people, and 
And there hasn't been enough yet. <laughs> Elfangor's like, no, I'm going to win this with clean hands. And uh, that's not war. War is about, hey, I've got so many people on this side. You've got so many people on that side. How can I reduce the number on your side? <laughs> that's war. Well put. You know what? I was thinking about this when I was reading this book, actually, The Escape. They could really do a proper Animorphs game if they did it like MGS, Metal Gear Solid. If it was like Metal Gear Solid where, you know, you're you're on stealth missions, but you can morph animals, that would be so awesome. That would be really good. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And focus on the story. I mean, even Metal Gear Solid started introducing like really well done hand-to-hand combat and stuff. So you get a battle morphs and everything. Hideo Kojima, make an Animorphs game. Oh, yeah, exactly. Let's get him on it. Except it'd be, it'd be way weird. Get, get David Hayter involved. <laughs> he played Jake. <laughs> uh, well, this, this book perfectly demonstrated how... The Animorphs franchise, the video games specifically, could have benefited from maybe incorporating this human stealth kind of mission aspect into the uh, gameplay. Instead of the side-scrolling BS that we ended up getting. Or the crazy Pokemon ripoff. <laughs> I think most publishers would be more interested in doing some kind of action-adventure game. And if you absolutely had to do something like that, you could do a pretty sweet like God of War-style Animorphs game where you're morphing into different animals and just taking on hordes of people. Uh, no, I, I don't see. I, I don't think it should go the beat em up route. I wouldn't want that. I'm saying that's what they would do. Clearly, there's some battles that they got to go through, but it's it's more about, you know, carrying out these kind of stealthy missions. Realistically, you know, it would be a good game type to to turn this into and that a could actually be strategy. done. <laughs> real time strategy would be amazing. <laughs> you send in hordes of auxiliary animorphs to their desk. Um, but no, an actual game type you could do is like the Telltale games, you know, like the Walking Dead ones, where it's uh, it's almost like the old school point-and-click adventures, but they're a little more action-based, but they're all about making decisions and people remembering what you've done and, and it changing the story as you go. Yeah, I, I haven't played any of those myself, and I hear that they're quite popular and the stories are really well. Um, Season one of uh, The Walking Dead, the Telltale game, is the first one I actually really got into. Like, they had the Jurassic Park one, and they had Back to the Future and stuff. But the Walking Dead one specifically, it was just an amazing story. And it was really fun to play. It felt like a normal video game, even though a lot of it was just, like, walking around talking to people. Or, uh, you know, every once in a while there'd be a little action scene where you'd fight off some zombies. Uh, but it was the story and your actions and what the big impacts were because of that. That uh, was so much fun. You know, you'd kill somebody in front of the little girl and it'd say Clementine would remember that. Uh, well, yeah, that that would be a, a pretty cool format, I guess, for the Animorphs franchise. I like a little bit more action in my. Well, there, games, you could but, you could you know. you'd add action to it like it did, but it'd be great because you'd have like uh, you and Marco or you could choose yeah, you morphs. could choose morphs, and that would affect like how how the story goes. Maybe you choose the wrong one, the wrong stealth morph. I choose dolphin for every <laughs> mission. <laughs> how do we get to the gardens? Dolphin morph. I'll meet you guys there in two hours. You would play like Jake or something. And say you got to make a decision on, okay, Marco and Cassie, you're going to go behind that dumpster. Rachel and Tobias, you're going to go into the mall. And based on your actions, maybe everybody turns into Nothlets and are trapped in Morph. You know, it's like, you don't know. <laughs> Get on this game, Telltale. Yeah. Stop making that low-profile Game of Thrones game and uh, switch over to this. Nobody wants that. So what else we got to talk about? I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Blog with a Dog. Oh, you're talking about the... The guy on Reddit. Oh, he's been posting a lot on Reddit alongside us. Um, basically, the guy who is going through each episode of the Animorphs TV show and reviewing them blog style with a humorous twist. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been real entertaining to me. I read the first three, and they were really, really funny. So uh, he maybe throws in a few too many images. It's like cracked style blog. No, I I I appreciate that, and I like that style too. I like that format. <laughs> sure, but uh, but he is really funny. So I will. I was holding off on mentioning him on our podcast because he hasn't mentioned us at all, and I know he's well, seen. Why us would he? Why would he? Because yeah. we're posting. We started. He's posting every week to Reddit, just like we are. But we, you know, we've been doing that for a while. It's so. not a competition. It is a competition. I feel like we've <laughs> caused a lot of discussion in the Animorphs community. And I'm, you know, I'm not ego-driven. I don't, I don't think we're doing anything crazy, but... Okay, blog with a dog. I demand you give us a shout-out in your next blog posting. No, I, I don't need a shout-out. I just... It's demanded. I'm okay with our listeners who may not have seen it. Uh, if they check him out, because he is uh, he is extremely funny. So, oh, isn't that nice? Yeah, just trying to do nice things, <laughs> trying to trying to support the Animorphs community, get it roaring. That is really about all I had to get us warmed up. You know, I I think I'm ready, and I think you're ready to dive deep into our discussion tonight. Are you ever actually ready to discuss Animorphs number fifteen, The Escape? I mean, I feel like my entire life's been building up to this. Um. Yeah, I, you know, we can do it when we're supposed to, like right now. Okay, if it. you're if you're that comfortable, I, I think I'm okay with trying it out. I am ready, my good man. All right. Without further ado, let us adjourn. Let's get into it. This section of the park houses one of the most extensive research libraries devoted to animal biology on the West Coast. Your guides will provide a thorough summary of any book that might catch your eye. Careful, though. Once you get them started, they'll never want to stop. All right, like we said, we are discussing Animorphs number 15, The Escape, written by K.A. Applegate. What? Is it really? Distributed by Scholastic. <laughs> the Yerks uh, are out there. Man. That is, that's what I say. The Yerks are out there because we haven't had 14 books to tell us that so far. So now we know yeah, officially. They, they got to give you a little snippet to uh, bring yeah. the, the new readers in and bring them up. So this, to see. this is an interesting cover because this cover freaks me the hell out. Well, it's very okay. Marco's flying out of the sky somehow. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. The angle of his descent it's looks a... like he was like torpedo torpedoing out of a plane. You um, don't you don't remember that part of the book? Anyway, but it, it, you can tell that this book is. They were really focusing on like colors first. We want, we want a yellow spine, uh, like a teal animorphs background for the text, and okay, the sky, a blue sky wouldn't work well. Let's go with a purple sky. Purple sky yeah, behind just the ocean. Throw it all off. <laughs> uh, but it does look pretty cool though. It's it's a pretty good looking book cover compared to some of them. It's not bad, and you know what? I I bet you wouldn't get as made fun of with this as you would with uh, the unknown last week's unknown. No, who doesn't like hammerhead public? sharks? Hammerhead sharks are sweet, right? And no. uh, and if you check the uh, inside cover, you'll see a pivotal moment from this book when uh, Marco morphed a shark and swam by swam by a school of fish. <laughs> yeah, yep. and uh, I appreciate. I know this wasn't intentional because. There's no way that they could get something right like this. But the fact that Marco is actually wearing something that could be considered one of his morphing outfits, except less flamboyant, uh, that's that's nice for once. Yeah, I suppose they're, they're getting, it, getting it down. 
somewhat little. closer. Somebody sent out a, a an inner inner office memo <laughs> that they needed to step up their artwork. Yeah, but they're still. I'm pretty sure he's only in a morphing outfit like that because he's going into the water. Like they're probably going for sweat, you know, not swimsuit, well, yeah. but but you know, like a wetsuit. So um, the two phases where he's like halfway morphed just are creepy, really. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to pull off that hammerhead stretch face look. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to go ahead and read the back of the book. Do so it. So that uh, everybody can know what this book is about. I dare you. Almost nothing could be as bad as finding out your mother is Visor 1, the most powerful of all Visors, the leader of the Yurk invasion of Earth. But it happened to Marco. And even though he's been handling it pretty well, he knew there'd come a time when he'd have to face her again. Knowing that the Yurk in her brain had taken his mother away. So when Marco, the other Animorphs, and Axe discover that Visor 1 is overseeing a secret underwater project, they know they have to check it out. But Marco's not sure if this is a battle he'll be able to fight. Spoilers, it's a battle he's willing to fight. Yeah, this is the uh, the book where Visor 1 comes back. Dun, dun, dun. That's a big deal, and you can joke all you want, but ever since The Predator, you can tell that this is one of the big I and mean, this is a tom sized mythology plot point some would argue that this is like the the main focus of the series i feel the... more in tune with this plot line than i do with the jake and tom one that's weird i mean jake and tom that's the classic that's book one set up you know that's his biggest problem the leader of the animorphs his brother is and, and they mention it constantly a whole heck of a lot of tom lately yeah but they mention it in every single book Oh, I know they have to keep it in people's minds somehow. Previously, on if you're Animal talking, <laughs> if you're talking main big plot points, then yeah, it's Jake and Tom, it's Marco and his mother, and it's are the Andalites coming back? Those are the big ones. I mean, there's plenty more, but yeah, I, I guess I yeah. agree with you on that one. But uh, this is definitely an important book. I say take off those quote-unquotes. This is totally an important (laughs) book. Never! Any book that starts with Eric, you know, is a oh-shit book. Right, yeah, about the the start of the book. I thought we'd been, uh, I thought we moved past the Animorphs using their powers for for stupid, (laughs) totally unnecessary, selfish reasons, like uh, imitating the parrots in a Rainforest Cafe type to be fair, restaurant. this was such a crappy environment for these parrots that even Jake was on board with coming on this stupid mission. Yeah, it uh, makes me wonder about the truth. I mean, I don't know if the actual Rainforest Cafe... They don't. Uh, they have animatronic parrots. Terrible like this. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. But I think they might have had real birds, probably even back in the 90s when well, this book was written. I don't think they did because uh, we used to go to one whenever we'd go down to Florida... Uh, which just randomly would go to because our cousins liked it so much. Um, and I remember thinking when this book came out, like right when it came out, I remember thinking like, wait, I've been to tons of rainforest cafes. I've never seen a live parrot. So I think they, it, this is like the, um, they've done this before. Just like how the crazy Eddie and his, you know, red-tailed hawk he kept in a bird cage to sell cars. It's putting yeah. an animal in danger for the sake of them saving it, not based on real life events. 
No, I, I get you here. And you know what? It's actually pretty funny because we've got both Tobias and X in human morphs just sitting in there, like observing their friends, totally grossing out all the customers by saying, enjoy rat feces with every meal and all kinds of things to gross out all the uh, people who are eating there. And it's, you know, kind of a humorous scene. Yeah, I, I think they could have gone a little further with it because... They said all these things that I think if you were standing in line at a rainforest cafe, people would just find it was kind of funny that the birds were saying this thing. They wouldn't leave line. Um, if if they were saying offensive well, things. Well, they were saying some pretty articulate Yeah, answers. but still, I don't I don't know if people would react that way. They should have had them saying something like really offensive that could get the restaurant like sued or something. That um, could get this podcast shut down. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to mention it here. Uh, <laughs> we, keep, we keep a clean slate on uh, ThoughtSpeak. We, I think it's fair to say that we run a PG-13 rating. Every once in a while, maybe someone will drop an F-bomb, but no, it's pretty No, we, we run like an 80s PG-13. The good PG-13. But as you mentioned, yes, after this whole snafu at the restaurant here where they're imitating parrots, uh, they do run into Eric. Eric the Chi. I've been waiting for him to make a comeback. Yeah, I mean, it's he's... It's been too long since book 10. Yeah. Ten. He's basically their Charlie. You know, reference to Charlie's sure. Angels. Uh, oh. He's the guy who gives the. He's the. No, not your dog. Um, well, I'm dead. <laughs> um, he's like the Charlie from Charlie's Angels. He gives the angels their mission. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of cool when they do run into Eric because he's like, hey, we got to talk. And his whole hologram includes everybody to make him look like a couple of chatting security guards in the mall. Yeah, you know, I know he's uh, all nonviolence, but being able to make them invisible and or create whatever image he wants around something, that could come useful a few No, that's missions. a huge superpower that they to- totally underutilize. Yeah, I mean, later they use him in a cave that no one can see anyway, uh, and things like that. Like, he's always not utilized well. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely been given some uh, superpowers that are kind of broken. Anyway, he, he appears and gives them a mission because he's, of course, heard about the latest developments of the uh, Yerks. And they've got a new scheme apparently taking place on some island called Royan Island. And there is, uh, of note, <laughs> there's a new species of possible controllers there called Lyrans. Lyrans. Yep, and the uh, thing about these Lyrans, which Axe is about to tell us... Uh-huh. Um, they are psychic. They're like these tentacle frog things, and if you get within a certain distance of them, which I thought was interesting, it seems like it's a pretty close distance, except for maybe some of the more powerful or leader ones yeah, or whatever. they never specify a distance, so it's kind well, of hard to Axe, tell. Axe always talks about how you wouldn't want to go near one, so I, I assume it's like a six-foot radius or something like that. Then they can see the future. Yeah, it's like uh, Bardock, the father of Goku. Exactly. Wait, <laughs> what? How, I don't remember him being able to do that. Uh, that was the whole point of that movie. Really? Next time on ThoughtSpeak, our review of Dragon Ball Z movie <laughs> special. <laughs> oh, the Tree of Might? Bardock, you... father of Goku. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Why don't we have a Dragon Ball podcast? We could totally pull that off. Coming next fall from the makers of ThoughtSpeak. Uh, so uh, before we get our, our Lyran explanation, by the way, this is when um, you know Eric brings up the very critical point that... Uh, this mission is being overseen by Visor One, and he's all reluctant to reveal that information to Jake. But of course, we get the Jake's in, man. He's cool. 
<laughs> Anything you can say in front of me, you can say in front of Jake. Jake's my homie. Yeah. And uh, Marco kind of flips out a little bit here because Eric's, you know, kind of questioning him as to whether or not he can do what needs to be done on this mission. Which is interesting. It's always interesting when you have situations like this. Eric is one of the kids, but he's also a centuries, centuries old robot who's lived in a he's thousand an, he's an ancient... adult lifetimes. He's an ancient godlike machine. So I, I always like them having conversations with him because even when he sounds normal, you can at least uh, imagine that there's a lot more going on and a lot more wisdom uh, coming out than you know him asking about Marco so personally and objectively or whatever about whether he'll be able to handle it. Um, it's a little insightful from the machine robot dog beast. If I were the Animorphs, I, I would be terrified any time Eric approached. I, I would just be, in the back of my mind, I'd be thinking, did he go find that effing disc and, and redo <laughs> his programming? Is he coming here to tear me apart? <laughs> well, no, I'd just be terrified because uh, they hear about plenty of missions through their own channels. You know, Animorphs are getting pretty good about finding out about things that the Yorks are up to. Uh, but uh, that see... the authors are getting pretty good at writing in coincidences. Yes, they're <laughs> pretty good. They've always been amazing at that. Um, but anytime Eric shows up, that means you're getting like deep, dark, secret, big things going down missions. Uh, so I'd be terrified just to see him because he's probably going to tell me that we need to shoot the president to save the earth. Yeah, if, if this were uh, if this Animorphs were a video game series, Eric would be the one who'd always give you like the really tough boss fight missions. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you need to go into the Yerk Pool and run around naked for 10 minutes. It's the only <laughs> yeah, way to right. save the Earth. <laughs> Do um, this all in Gorilla Morph. <laughs> but it's on the Liron home planet. Uh, Achievement unlocked. Used Horse Morph. <laughs> used Mosquito Morph in fire. Yeah, so this this is obviously a huge problem because Lirans are psychic and psychic controllers is a no-go in this kind of secretive war. On top of that, they're an amphibious race. And the planet that they come from is completely water-based. So yeah, but what would they do with them? They're not—they're not gonna realistically use them to any advantage on Earth. Oh my gosh, Lyrons with morphing power would be unstoppable. <laughs> Maybe morph-capable Lyrons. We want that book. Yep. <laughs> During this conversation, where Axe is telling them all about the Lyrons and how they're you know these amphibious, aquatic, psychic aliens that come from this far-off world. They're they're trying to figure out, you know, what, what Yerks would want with them, which, you know, it's not that hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah, they go straight for the psychic ability, um, yeah. which seems like a pretty big advantage, especially when, you know, you got to find morph-capable people who might attack you at any point. So definitely a danger to the Animorphs themselves. Yeah, and this is the point where they're obviously discussing the mission a little bit and uh, they decide they need to fly out to Royan Island and, you know, check the place out. And uh, particularly the waters around Royan Island is, is where they need to focus their search. So they decide they need, obviously, to swim. And uh, the only member of the team thus far that doesn't have a water morph, uh, particularly a dolphin morph, is Tobias. He's got a raccoon morph. Can't he just, like, ride on one of their yeah. backs? <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. I, I'd love yeah. that. I, I like that they don't even try to consider getting Axe a dolphin morph. Yeah, he's got a sweet ass shark morph. He doesn't need one. Um, well, plus, it's much harder. It's much harder to get an Andalite, you know, into a 
They could do it the exact same way they did it in uh, the book four. They had no problems flying into the gardens at night and climbing right on in the tank. Yeah, no, when Cassie wants to play with them. But, you know, they got their morphs by... They can't sneak an android in. They got their morphs by going there during the day and petting the dolphins, remember? Like, while the trainer was right there? Yeah, but they very easily could have, just like Cassie did there. Eileen is the name of the trainer, by the way, from book four. Way to go. Suck it, true fan. <laughs> you earn ten Anna trivia points. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Tobias, he's a little hesitant, but he, he kind of thinks about maybe flying to Orion Island and just morphing there, but it's like 30 miles. So yeah, he that's... wants to pull out immediately. He's like, ah, I'll, I'll go back to Skycam. Yeah, he's still kind of, he's, he's antsy about using his morphing. Like, he wants to use his morphing to fight because he doesn't want to look like he's scared, but... No, but um, now he's, like, totally part of the team again, and he's been so used to, like, sitting out while everybody else does the really disgusting morphs. Like, you know, he missed out on Ant. He missed cockroach. out on, on Dolphin. He missed out on just all the good stuff and the, the really, really bad stuff. And so now we get to see more of Tobias being, like, like they were towards the beginning, where he's like, oh, I don't know about this. He's like a new Animorph that doesn't try to kill them all. So. Yeah, kind of. I mean, nice. they need to they need to outfit him with a fly, a uh, roach morph. He needs uh, an actual battle morph. I'm sick of seeing Tobias come in and like slash out a Horkbajir's eyes in the middle of the battle. Oh yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, give, give him. Some. They, I don't He's think they ever do. Morph. I know and he'd be aw- and he does morph it later on in the series. If you, him and Rachel go Horkbajir every once in a while. Together. Yeah, yeah. It's I, really cute. Uh, it's really but, cute. <laughs> Double date, actually. But it is weird that uh, they never really give him a proper battle morph. I don't think throughout the entire series. Nope, because it's it's like Tobias the red-tailed hawk is the series mascot almost. Yeah, and I don't mind it completely because he's been in like he's has more experience in that morph than anyone in any morphs, so he can probably be pretty crazy. In fact, as I think a hawk. At, at multiple points in these series, some of the kids, some of the team refer to him as their mascot. I think Marco's referred to him as their mascot at least once. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's done it with pure scorn in his tone a million times, but... <laughs> yeah, well, this is kind of a fun chapter where they need to get Tobias a dolphin morph, which obviously involves him having to touch the dolphin to acquire it, which, you know, it's a hawk. How's that going to work? His decision is to dive bomb a dolphin jumping through a hoop in the middle of a performance with hundreds of people looking on. I'm not sure why he thought that was the best way to go. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know either. I mean, he very easily could have maybe just flown in and landed on the edge of the tank and hobbled over to one that kind of poked out of the water for a minute. Yeah, no, he he comes down screaming, you know, his classic battle cry right. as he as he grabs onto one. Then he gets stuck for a while, and we have Tobias almost drown, and just good times all around. Well, and it, it gives us this dolphin rodeo joke, which is... Uh, quite popular among the fan base i think i didn't know this was the book where we got that but um yeah it, it's a funny line i haven't heard anybody make the joke outside of the book oh somebody was selling t-shirts that had a uh, a dolphin uh with a hawk riding it silhouetted and it said dolphin rodeo it's got potential <laughs> i'm okay with that I don't remember who was selling those. There's some online store. But but he gets saved by Marco, and they go ahead and do the mission that they got the morph for in the first place. I just wanted to also point out that uh, it, uh, we get another instance of Marco trying to, you know, put this this Vizzer 1 nonsense out of his mind for a second by 
riding a roller coaster as a seagull with Jake. Yeah. I just like to see them kind of cut loose like that. Just the fact that Jake joins them is even better. Just like for five seconds, can we not think about any more stuff? Okay, we're riding a roller coaster. We're launching off and flying. Sweet. Yeah, it's it's little moments like this that, you know, make you think for a second maybe being an Animorph doesn't suck. So they fly out to Royan Island. Yeah, this is, they land and demorph. And we've actually got, you know, a team team meeting where they're plotting strategies here always love to see them talking things yeah through. and they pick you know they say there's like people running around the other on the other side of the island it's not a huge island it's like some crescent moon shaped place no the island's not really uh much of the focus here they uh kind of ignore it right away and move on <laughs> into the water yeah once they head into the water and axe takes on his awesome shark morph which they take a moment to kind of talk about his shark morph which would be weird if not for the next scene where they, after they get around the edge and they're kind of enjoying Tobias's thrilling first uh, encounter with the dolphin morph. Yeah, Tobias loves it, as everyone does. <laughs> they find this huge underwater evil base <laughs> protected by a hologram. And the only reason they find it is because uh, they're echolocating as dolphins. So chuck that up to another coincidence in the uh, book series that, oh, it's a good thing they went dolphin instead of like some other sea-based animal or they would have They're never found jellyfish morph yeah they would have fumble around in the dark this book literally wouldn't have happened they couldn't have found the base <laughs> <laughs> it's not like eric gave them any like really good information all he says is that they're using lirons and he gave them the name of this island that's all he go said go to the water follow the money that was, that was about it yeah so they're hanging out checking out this secret evil base and that's when a uh, school of hammerheads shows up and, you know, everyone's like, oh, we, what do we do? And Marco's obviously for fleeing. Most of them are for fleeing. The only one that wants to actually stick around and fight is Rachel because she's nuts. I do like that they bring back um, Marco's last encounter with sharks and how he came really, really close to dying. Uh, and him talking about how much it hurt to be bitten in half by a shark. Oh, yeah. He, he says at one point, you know, when he thinks he's going to get get bit, um, I, I was about to die and worst part was i i already knew how it would feel yeah it's pretty dark that's not bad oh yeah uh and he has a little thing here where i mean they're all going to run but he actually takes off as a reaction you know he, he takes off running after they've already kind of decided to leave but he's the first one out of there and the rest just kind of follow and i think yeah. this is one of those things where for almost you know the good a good another half of this book he's really worried that he looked like a coward uh, I don't. I don't think anyone else noticed that he ran off. Really, I don't think anybody else cared about it because uh, they end up completely surrounded anyway. So nobody's attempt to run away works. Um, and then you know, working together with with teamwork with old Jakey Poo at the head of the team, uh, they they manage to injure at least one of the sharks and draw a little blood. But uh, they're quickly disappointed to learn that the sharks are for some reason intelligent and just go on continuing to attack them the sharks aren't acting like sharks and that's a problem because they're sharks and uh <laughs> and the animals pick up on this and they don't know what's up but they're still in a life or death situation so their uh fight or flight senses move straight back into flight and they they find a way to outsmart them and get away yeah just long enough for the sharks to be recalled back to the base by some kind of like Tone. siren alarm yeah, thing some kind of thing and, um, you know, instantly they're like, uh, we got really lucky there. 
But uh, let's go check out the base again anyway. Yeah, not the smartest uh, decisions the Anwars ever made, but... Eh, I can't fault them for it. It makes sense. <laughs> they, gotta, they gotta see what, you know, what the sharks are doing, how they're controlling these sharks, because that's a new development. Yeah, and, and I think the big question... sharks at this point. I think the big question is why. Why would they want to control sharks in the first place? And how did they make these sharks, if they mess with them, how did they make them smarter, you know? That is exactly what they start to debate once they start debating it. But first... Uh, before they can even, you know, inspect the base even more, uh, like, a weird, clear submarine shows up with, uh, of course, conveniently, Visor 1 and a Lyran both riding inside of it. Just, like, in plain view. Yeah, well, they say the big, uh, see-through submarine, uh, it's, like, shaped like a big stingray and stuff, so, pretty crazy, uh, huge sub- your controlled well, weird sub. choice, making it clear. It's, it's like this Liron who's beside Visor One. I see it. I think he's the one that's throughout the book. Anytime they're around Visor One and there's a Liron nearby, the mission's over now, and we get another scene here of uh, Marco and his home life. And you know, this is always kind of the driving force of these these Marco's family centric books, where we see him kind of interacting with his dad and a lot of inner monologuing about just how crappy his life is and (laughs) he's got a lot on his mind especially concerning his mother right now yep and it leads him to blow off his homework which is crazy important Mm, well kids do your now when you're an animorph kids even if you've got animorph-esque responsibilities it's important for you to finish your classwork (laughs) well he's blowing off his homework to hang out with his dad which is which makes it okay it does and uh, does he mention his, uh, is this scene where he mentions the first time the picture of his mother at his bedside table? Or does that happen later? I don't know. Okay, I'll cut that It's not a detail I remember. It's an important detail. It comes up like two times. <laughs> this is kind of a weird, um, you know, every almost every Animorphs book has kind of a similar structure in that they do like a scouting mission scouting mission goes terribly wrong and then they gear up for the actual mission this is a kind of a weird one where they didn't spend a lot of time on the scouting mission they went out there even though it was really far away and a lot more could have happened um it took up a very small portion of this book and they're already meeting up again to discuss the actual mission to find out what's going on in space yeah, I thought it was a weird cut to go straight from like, oh my god, there's, you know, Visitor 1 and Illyrian in a submarine to just like, well, that was the end of the important <laughs> parts well, of that mission. If you look at this book as not a bunch of missions to, you know, keep the Yerks from Earth, and it's more about um, Marco dealing with his mother being the enemy, that's a dramatic cut. That's... Well, that's the only way I look at the series. It's the only way I look at this book. I think it's much more interesting to look at it from that angle. I think that's what the author wants us to do. So Clearly, and it works. Yeah. Marco's just tugging at my heartstrings. Poor <laughs> little guy. Uh, basically, once they meet up again, though, they decide that, okay, there's hammerheads. We can do that. We can get those and, and get in. <laughs> yeah, they, they need hammerhead morphs. Yeah, which is pretty... This is type of convenience. It's lucky that they found a aquarium within you know driving distance that has a hammerhead shark oh yeah and not just any aquarium this is ocean world my friend <laughs> what, what could that be well i say it's a park that probably has tanks much too small for some of their larger more sentient creatures 
I would. That's what I guess. Ocean World. I think somebody should make a documentary about Ocean World showing the Hashtag dangers. Blackfish. <laughs> that's where I was going. Yeah. So Ocean World, this demoralizing and place that needs to be shut down. Um, Hashtag shark petting. <laughs> shark petting. Because that's that's what this is really all about. Is shark petting right here. Um, yeah. And this so- is this is uh, this is another scene where we've had some of these before. The Animorphs go to acquire a morph. And, you know, wherever it is, wherever they go, be it a, a barn stable with uh, racing horses or uh, an ocean world aquarium, as soon as they land and, like, demorph and they're into, like, sneaking around mode, they're going to be found out immediately. Like, you could make a strong argument that the Yerks are the main antagonists of this book series. I think you could make just as strong of an argument that security guards are the uh, main antagonists of this book series. Well... You you might be able to say that, except that they usually tend to write in a human controller. Or oh yeah, a... I always wait whenever they uh, whenever they have acts like demorph. Always wait yeah. for some random person to walk by and be like Andalite. Oh, an <laughs> it's like oh Yerks, you're trying a secret invasion. Maybe stop screaming alien names uh, for like five right, seconds. Yeah, who are you alarming, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Showing that you know what this strange, unearthly creature is, not a good move when you're out in public. Well, I love to think that this is a Yerk who, he's been put on security detail for Ocean World. It's like, what is his role in the invasion? (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was like, why do they conveniently have controllers at, like, you know, the gardens and here at Ocean World and stuff? But then it, it makes sense, actually. That is where the Andalite bandits would yeah, go to and that's, acquire Earth Morph. That's what I was thinking about, too, when I was reading this. I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really clever. They have him there as kind of a lookout uh, in case the Andalite bandits try to acquire something from there. So Yeah, never works, but, you know, they got to try. Well, it worked. He found him out. He just decided to immediately blow his cover and, you know, tell the incredibly dangerous and intelligent creature that he's aware of it. Right. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, I thought it was hilarious that uh, so they're, you know, obviously very, very concerned about how the heck they're actually going to pull this off, this shark petting mission. Um, and Rachel suggests, you know what? Five of us in Dolphin Morph, we could probably take one of these things. Why don't we just get in the tank and beat it into submission until we can acquire it? <laughs> it's pretty screwed up. And I like that really without this whole security guard thing happening. Uh, that's realistically their only option. That that actually is... I mean, even Cassie gets on board with it, and she would never hurt an animal like this. So, I mean, I like that they're all in the mindset of this is a mission we have to do. We are willing to do this terrible act to be okay with, you know, be able to complete the mission. They're 100% going to do this. Um, of course, yeah. So, um, <laughs> they're walking around, and they've already they've been, they've been discovered by these human controllers, and they get chased into the water walkways of Ocean World. And if you've ever been to uh, one of the sea one of the Sea Worlds on the coast, or uh, some other large aquarium like this, there's a lot of times where you can walk through a tunnel that's just made of glass, and you can see all the animals around you. You're underwater, and just walking down one of these moving kind of escalator pathways. Um, yeah, in fact, there's a funny moment where where Axe is like, oh, why are you guys projecting this underwater look? And Cassie's like, we are underwater. And Axe, you know... Why would you do this? That he's underwater. <laughs> yeah, and his quote is, why do humans do things like this? 
<laughs> it is really, really funny. Um, but anyway, but they're trapped between these two guards on one of these walkways. And Marco it was literally the one who's like, uh, or is it him or is it Jake? One of them's like, everybody hold your breath. And then they look at Axe and ask him, how thick do you think this glass is? And Axe takes the hint and just cuts a big gap into it and all the pressure you know, blows out the tank. Yeah, it's a pretty soundproof plan, aside from, you know... Everyone almost dying and drowning. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it's a pretty close call. They almost all drown. I mean, they're stuck in this tube. They have to get back to the hole to get out. I don't know if the other ones are sucked out, but... Marco lucks into getting stuck into this air conditioning vent, I guess. And so I'm to understand that it's it's dry in there and there's air and there's like this uh the the tube below him is filling up with water with the hammerhead inside that's like slowly rising. Yeah, it's like a big air duct, uh which I guess maybe you could say the bottom grill fell out of it when so all is the it, air is pressure. Is it vertical or is it horizontal then? Yeah, it's like um it's probably goes straight up to the top outside of the vents i don't know it depends on how it could have been one of those walkways where once you get to one end of it it's like a, opens into a big room or something maybe that's where he got stuck in an air duct but it just um, seems like a really weirdly conveniently it is shaped setting for this to all happen in <laughs> yeah so he goes up into it or whatever i think it's a little more weird that the shark could fit into it and still be moving around and doing stuff yeah but... and i don't get it i mean like he does he climb all the way up it because he drops from a, a tall height to kind of drop right on top of the shark and he stuns it long enough to Well, I think he it. went up into this vertical air duct. That's like, it's like what you see in like a, like a hip downtown business or something where the giant air ducts are hanging from the ceiling and stuff. So he climbs up into one straight up and it's mostly filled with water. But once you get into the air pocket part of it and once he notices there's a hammerhead shark below him, he starts winch, winching his way up it, like pushing his hands and legs against opposite ends and climbing up it that way. But he's too slippery, he can barely hold on, so that's when he decides to just fall into the shark and try to acquire it. Yeah, well, I, I think this uh, would look amazing, you know, visually in perhaps yeah. an animation. It's even. basically Jaws 3. So, <laughs> best scene in Jaws 3 is when they're trapped in one of those walkways. Yeah, but as soon as he, like, falls on top of the shark and, and stuns it a little bit and acquires it, they kind of, like, float up to the top of the tank where everyone else is conveniently standing around like, Hey, Marco, how's it going? Marco drowned yet? (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, Oh, here's the shark to acquire. Yeah. So they, yeah. I mean, I'll agree that this scene is a little, uh, far fetched and a lot of things that happen in it. So, Uh, yeah, I mean, they could have just cracked one tiny little section and maybe like had the shark kind of flop into the room with them or something, but I don't know. Clearly they're going for a, a, tense kind of action scene here and it's you know kind of fun i guess i think it'd be a really cool scene if they had you know cut all the security guard stuff maybe have that at the end or something uh because in this scene they flat out murdered two security guard humans so <laughs> basically that's got this maybe, maybe they survived well you know visitor three would have killed them anyway no they didn't survive they made a they made a mark they said a point of that, that they didn't see the guards afterwards and they were saying that because then oh, the two guards, guards disappeared yeah, yeah. Two, and then they can't tell the story of the Four, or the five human kids in an Andalite. I think they could have done something, though, instead of this whole running around action scene. They could have done just a really cool kind of tense scene where they're all up top of the tank looking into it, and the hammerhead keeps swimming by, and so they're trying to plan when they could 
catch it to morph it and it'd, it'd oh, be like yeah, it'd be... yeah that is an interesting enough scenario on its own that just that you know exchange that little event would have been enough to sustain my interest in the chapter um i don't i don't think they need to mix in enemies at every single turn yeah and it could have been really funny because they could have like really planned it out and figured out like when the hammerhead's going to come by and how long they can get it under uh you know morphine relaxation meditation period and um but then for they could have forgotten that oh yeah the sharks full or the tanks full of other sharks so you know you could have had a little action scene there or whatever where they're trying to oh, yeah, it, morph it the shark could have been a, a tense you know uh, fun scene um i i think a lot of times they they forget that it doesn't always need to be controllers that the the kids are facing um a lot of times just natural earth habitat and earth animals are more than sufficient to to work as villains for a scene if if animorphs the series could take a look at any other superheroes as a basis for their you know plots and and how they should treat their characters all you have to look at is spider-man spider-man is one of the most interesting comic book heroes not because he's fighting doc ock in every other comic but because he's got like bills to pay and he's doing badly in school because of his superman or his spider-man duties and you know that's what the animorphs are they're kids who have kid problems they just happen to also be fighting a war uh with superpowers (laughs) so So, i mean every once in a while i just want a little shark petting chapter you know come on yeah i want to i want to whole book of I'm marco surprised, i'm surprised visor 3 didn't show up here <laughs> i want a whole book where cassie uh morphs a shark and kills something and finds out she really enjoys it and feels terrible about it and she has to come to terms with the fact that she likes killing things boom yeah there you go i want that book get on it applegate <laughs> no i'm sick of the next one the very first <laughs> book she does coming out of retirement for madame Morse is a cassie book <laughs> cassie is a psycho losing her mind anyway we have a new scene here yeah. where everybody's back at school well marco and jake are back at school this is a scene that i could have done without to be honest with you i love this scene i think this scene's awesome this is the type of scene we were just talking about wishing we would have uh, yeah it is but it's just it's I don't know. It's kind of ridiculous. It is, but no, I think I think the book actually sells it. So basically, uh, Marco is antsy at school the next day. He's kind of on edge, and the reason for it is that he he's like really jazzed to go on this mission. Not that he's excited in like a good way. He's he's tense about going to see his mother again, and especially about morphing a shark. Basically, okay. There's a thing with rape victims that they feel powerless. And a big thing uh, a lot of psychologists will say with rape victims is a big part of how they move on is finding a way to get their confidence back and taking charge of their lives and, and feeling feeling like they have control. So that's 100% what this scene is. Marco, who almost died in this really traumatic shark attack, um, he's like extremely excited and on, on, and on edge all day. Because he wants to try out this morph. He wants to be the thing that made him feel so powerless. And Yeah, it's it's pretty messed up. Yeah, so he goes to the you know, he can't even wait till school lets out. He goes to the school pool, which we're seeing right. for the first time for some reason. Incredibly stupid. And and tries to morph Hammerhead Shark in the school pool, which is not saltwater uh-huh. or anything. Uh <laughs> smart move, yeah. Yeah. So obviously it goes wrong. 
and I like I love the idea of this that he's about halfway through morph. I don't think he's like legs have combined or anything yet. No, he's not too terrible yet. He does yeah, have like, shark teeth and yeah. uh, shark eyes. He like grew his dorsal fin or something, but yeah, um, yeah, a fin. And I think his his hands might have been turning a little gray. Yeah, but basically these two bullies show up, jump into the pool. They must have seen him like walking out of the locker room or something and followed him. Because uh, yeah, maybe you'd think he'd you know search around a little bit to make sure he's alone. He's first, not. But... He's not thinking well right now. I think that the book makes that clear. He's not okay. Yeah. So when these kids start picking on him, uh, that's one thing. Marco. Oh, they go overboard. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, he Marco's not too biased though. He he was ready to brush it off, but then of course because this book is this book, they make a crack about his mom, and how he doesn't have oh, a yeah. mom to go crying home to anymore. And after physically assaulting him, yeah, and Marco is pretty close to murdering these kids. Well, yeah, and he's still, you know, uh, a quarter morphed, quarter morph, quarter morph. That sounds cool. Um, but yeah, he's he's halfway through morph. He's already like, I don't know if he's. I hope he's channeling some of the shark instincts because otherwise he's like ready to no, rip out is, their throats. Because he mentions like the shark's eyes. He saw through the shark's eyes. And, yeah. You know, he he wanted to. He he couldn't stop looking at the kids. Uh, his uh, neck he wanted to bite his neck yeah so obviously thankfully uh somewhere off in the rest of the school jake's uh some kid is getting bullied by other bullies radar is going off marco detector no it's his bully detector marco or jake just runs around the school helping nerdy kids uh fight off bullies so so obviously that went off and he's like oh it's marco and he's he's in the room pretty quick yeah he steps in and uh kind of talks him down yeah, he talks him off the edge um and it's uh it's a fairly tense scene i, li- I like the scene a lot i was a big fan of it uh, especially it's cool uh, it's it's definitely cool it's just a little bit silly no and i i love For how serious it is i love the jake marco dialogue where it's like the bullies i love any scene where the animorphs who deal with real crap on a regular basis, like actual adult things. I love any scene where they're talking in front of someone like another kid or someone who has no idea what they're talking about or how serious the situation is. Like this happens yeah, and, you regularly. Know, Jake's telling him like, just let it go, man. These aren't the guys you want to hurt. Save your, save it for the enemies. Stuff like that. Where, where they're, you know, talking like big shots. I'd say this these is regular people. This is the type of scene that I, it's the reason I like Jake and Marco's relationship. Yeah, well, uh, we have, like I said, this is a good scene between Jake and Marco where Jake even considers uh, asking if, you know, he should make Marco sit the mission out because of the way he's acting. And Marco tells him in no uncertain terms that uh, he'll he'll either be going on this mission or he'll just die. Do you think even Jake has that power at this point in the series? I mean, I feel like later on they'd listen to him and trust him. But right now, do you think if he told somebody to sit out a mission, they actually would? No, definitely not. Marco has just proven that he's Yeah, not. but that's Marco. I mean, Marco and Jake are too close for Marco to really... And honestly, Marco is too smart and too in control of himself to really treat Jake like a leader. Uh, it's his best friend, you know, and, and Marco knows what he's doing. He's not like... He's not like a loose cannon like Rachel, who I, I feel like Jake yeah, could he, actually he tells talk. Rachel to sit out a mission, and she just invents an excuse to, to whisk away the problem. Yeah. So that she can still end up doing the mission. Rachel would kill a man if it meant she got to go on a mission and and also prove Jake wrong in the same action. <laughs> Basically. But now is where we kind of get into the the meat and potatoes here of this book. This is, this is the big mission. 
they go back to the island. We are we are back at Royan Island, and now they one last powwow. Yeah, now they know what to do. They know where they're going. They've got a somewhat decent plan. You could almost argue that this is the real scout mission because that's their entire mission. They're not here to blow up the facility. They're not here to do anything else. They're just here to see what the crap is going on and see what yeah. see what this place is. Um, Still a lot of uh, a lot of uh, missing information. Yeah, Eric Other is than terrible. It's extraordinarily dangerous if if the Yerks come into control of more of these uh, Larians. Yeah, they're worried about that, and they're also their curiosity is piqued by smart hammerhead sharks. So that's really why they're back so quickly. Yeah, and it's it's really cool here. Um, you know, they have a little a little private meeting where Jake asks Marco just one more time. You know, if he's certain about doing this, and of course Marco's down. He's always down to uh, go rescue his mother or at least that's what he's going to try to do um we get the entire team kind of walking into the water and this is kind of a cool moment i especially think it's more of a visual moment where they're all walking into the water to try out their uh their hammerhead morphs it's it's just uh cool I mean, tobias is riding on rachel <laughs> yeah he's I, I love the um this is going to continue in some books coming up shortly where uh <laughs> tobias starts riding on rachel's shoulder and she's like, she doesn't think twice about it. It's just, he just goes up there and it's just a regular thing. Um, yeah. She's pretty boss. Mm -hmm. Studied falconry. <laughs> <laughs> just for him. That's how she charmed him. <laughs> but as they're walking into the water, uh, obviously a little bit of foreshadowing here, but Marco cuts himself on a shell. And this is while they're morphing. Yeah. They're, they're doing the shark morph. I thought it was just when they were walking in, but. No, it's while he's in morph because his legs slip out oh yeah yeah his more his legs are the first thing to morph so he slips out and uh and falls down and on the way cuts himself on a little piece of coral or shell or something and oh you know uh, what one one thing i wanted to point out i'm sorry i didn't point this out earlier either this is when they're all talking about um uh doing the morph again and i just wanted to point out that it's it's a parallel here between marco wanting to do this hammerhead shark morph and have that like power and be a predator that we saw back in uh, uh, book 10, I want to say, the android, um, where, you know, he was really desperate about getting into that spider morph and, like, being a predator and losing himself there. Like, that's what he's all about, really. You you, you hit the head on the, or the hammer, the nail on the head. The hammerhead on the you, shark. And you said he's, uh, <laughs> he's wanting to put himself in a position of power so he doesn't have to feel weak. He does that a lot. Yeah, which goes back to a lot of that goes back to not only the first time he was attacked by sharks, but the fact that earlier in the book he was the first to run away from a battle, and that's that's what he brings up again and and is struggling with. And it's funny because Marco's first book was book number five, The Predator. <laughs> right. Yeah. Animorphs versus Predator, one of my favorites. Oh man, Animorphs would destroy the Predator totally. True fact. So they morph hammerheads, and the first thing they all do is just like usual, they lose themselves in the instincts for a little bit. And it's funny because they have a little moment of kind of going into a frenzy, and it's caused by Marco cutting himself on a seashell while he was morphing. Yep, and it drives him a little bit crazy until Marco comes to the realization that it's his own blood, which is uh, disgusting. But this allows him to snap out of it and kind of snap his friend. Yeah, before out. most of them. Like we see... In so many other yeah. ways. Yeah, well, it's funny, though, that he snaps himself out of this, and uh, he kind of has to help the others do it. But I feel like uh, it even mentions that Tobias got a hold of it really quick. 
So Mate Tobias was just sitting by and he's like, What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, because he's he's used to the yep. predator mind. He knows. They they all regain their senses here and start swimming uh down to the, the underwater evil base. And uh Marco pretty much immediately sees his mom again through like one of the windows. Yeah. She's just like hanging out in the office doing Maybe the Yerk should have less opaque buildings. Probably. <laughs> Remember, remember Visitor Three and his uh, his translucent box technology. <laughs> he's he's forced that throughout the rest of the uh, Yerks facilities. He's so in love. Yeah, but he's like he's forced them to turn it to clear mode all the time because he was like nothing good happened when I made the the box darkened. <laughs> we gotta have everything that. To totally clear seems now. like like he took that. Hundred percent seems like Visitor Three's <laughs> uh, thinking process. It's like that one time I used something that wasn't opaque, everything went bad. Everything is opaque now. Right. You, he t- fails to take into consideration the only reason it failed was because the Animorphs were in the thing that should have <laughs> stayed translucent. Not the other way around. It's it's perplexing. He's such Everything's clear. That submarine over there? Make it clear. We got a secret underwater evil clear. clear. He's just really worried about people playing on Reddit while they're at work. So he wants to see what they're doing through the walls. Yeah. <laughs> he can be like five offices over. And just see that somebody's on Facebook or you know, someone's Instagram. Jerry, get in my office right now. You're on Twitter again. It's like a big hork bajir wearing a suit and tie <laughs> walks in. <laughs> Jerry, I see you've logged 14 hours on personal Twitter page this week. <laughs> Ungrash, um, visitor. I didn't mean to. I, I, I would read that book. I want that book. Just the day-to-day and the uh, lives of uh, hork bajir office workers. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to get uh, demoted into like a Jed morph or a Jed body. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I don't, I'm confused as to the layout of this secret underwater complex because they describe it as being kind of small. It almost sounds like a very small, like just rectangular kind of bland building with some windows. I don't think it's that small. And... They haven't described it as small at all because they have these huge openings that could fit the submarine inside them. And when they get inside, there's like catwalks and all this crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The initial impression I got was that it was a small building, but they're able to swim up inside of it, and it's obviously a large complex because mm-hmm. they're going to whatever convenient room they happen. You were to probably be. fooled by the hologram. That hologram technology will get you every time. I I swear there was just air bubbles there a second ago. <laughs> Coral. So yeah, the shark morphs work. They get past the smart sharks, and uh, once they swim into the facility, uh, they're almost immediately grabbed by this automated shark line of production robotic yeah, it's arms freaky because they're like sitting around you know discussing what their their next move is they want to get some good eyes to start looking around the base and uh, they want to go fly but yeah the the sharks start hauling in and uh, all of a sudden they're grabbed by this weird machine and this would freak me out yeah if you're a you're in shark morph which if a shark stops moving it dies so obviously it doesn't like to stop for anything but secondly, you're this water-based creature, and you're grabbed by this giant robotic arm that, you know, stops you from moving. And lift yeah, it out, of the, it out of the water. And not only that, but once they get out of the water and they're going through this production line, there all these other sharks are getting injections. Uh, so some kind of drug or something that's that's expanding their minds and making them able to. They assume that that's starting down a line to get them so they can have yurks and be used as host bodies to fight as shock troopers in the Liron homeworld invasion. Yeah, they're basically just kind of force-evolving 
the the shark's brains to make him smarter and make him, you know, actually capable of holding yurks. Because I guess their uh, current brains are not yurk. Now, the problems that the animorphs face are that uh, occasionally, I guess, other hammerhead sharks probably swim into this facility and are grabbed by the same machine. And whenever the machine detects a hammerhead that's not part of their uh, group already, it will go the extra mile and drill into their brains and implant it with uh, uh, a little kind of beacon implant that, you know, starts the process. Just a strange little device that gets drilled into their heads, and that's terrifying enough right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so once they are let go by this machine, uh, they quickly go back to human slash antelite slash bird. (laughs) And uh, they decide, okay, we're going to take a look around this facility. We need to go one of our stealth morphs. Best one we could do for this, uh, according to Cassie, we should go fly. That's that's the best one. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna carry out their original plan here before they got grabbed by the Sharkomatic, uh, which was yep. to go fly. Which which they they give it their all. Like many of Cassie's plans, they all almost die immediately. <laughs> well, this is kind of weird, but apparently the uh, the implant that was uh put in their heads doesn't morph or go to z space or anything like that it stays embedded within their heads and uh would split open a fly's head should they try to morph anything yep so basically if we're if we're chalking this up uh shoes and yerk implants no dice (laughs) yeah it's um one of the first instances we see of something in or on their bodies, not morphing. What are you talking about? Them. Clothes and shoes. They can't morph those at all. <clears throat> well, it's just kind of weird how this brain implant can stay where it is in their heads and not affect them after they've already morphed back to human. No, it depends on where this thing was. If it's just sitting on the back of their skull and it's it's a device meant to go inside the brain of a creature, I'm sure it's, you know somewhat biological or it's your technology i'm sure it's advanced enough that it's secreting antibodies and things to make it it's a convenience written no it's not we put in no reason. this is not i'll fight you on this because <laughs> this is this is only to limit no, their small no no morphs. no look okay it's a it's a it's listen a limiter that listen put on a level of shut your game. whore mouth listen to me for two seconds <laughs> so you've got this plan by the yurks to implant these devices which are made to go, they're supposed to be drilled into aquatic creatures straight into the brain and placed there, all right? That means that not only is this device, you know, made to go into one of the most sensitive areas of a creature that exists, it's also made to heal up the wound as quickly as possible so that these sea creatures can go back in the ocean without seawater rushing into their brains after surgery. So I would say that this device is pretty advanced, and it's made specifically to be in a biological area without hurting that area, uh, specifically the brain. So I think they're fine. And the fact that... Well, obviously it's advanced. It's got plot-defined I hate traits. you so much. I quit the podcast. <laughs> this is this is that level of uh, Animorphs MGS that I was talking about, where you get in there and it's like, oh no, here's a, here's a handicap for this level. <laughs> you can't use your bug morphs. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, it's true. We don't want yet another book. My I thank morph. Apple. I How thank you, Catherine Applegate, for doing this because I, you know, we don't need another book where they're sneaking around in cockroach or fly morph. We're gonna get plenty more of that. It's nice to have things mixed up, and it's an interesting plot development. You know, they can't. It it both helps explain more 
about the plan to you know use these hammerhead sharks as shock troopers and also gives them a restriction and makes the book more interesting i'm so sorry she's such a good author and keeps our interest yeah it's pretty sweet i'll give you that (laughs) Well, anyway, they they decide that uh, the next course of action here should be, all right, screw it, we can't really do stealth, so we're going to have to split up into some groups here. One of us is going to be a distraction team, and the other is going to be a whatever, Marco, just go find your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they they come up with the idea, I mean, Axe helps them out, that, okay, we just had implants put in our head. Uh, Because Yerks always cover their tracks, if somehow this base is destroyed... These uh, these devices will liquefy, and uh, we'll be saved. <laughs> That's something the Yerks do. They, they can't, they've already shown in the past, literally the last book, that they'll do anything to keep the humans from finding alien technology. So it makes sense within the universe that's been created. Including Defy Plot. We've, we've got uh, Tobias, Marco, and Axe. That's the group. And this is a really good group, actually. I like all these characters, and I like their interactions. Especially when they're more comedic, but this is not really. Um, we have them all decide to go bird morph because that, you know, apparently is, works because Tobias is proof of that. They're they're just going to fly around this base, I guess, looking for Visor 1, while Jake in his tiger morph is there to give them a distraction. Yeah, and as they're, you know, running around and uh, Jake and them are going off to, you know, just start a fight, basically... They do run into Visor 1. Marco specifically splits up and uh, walks into this room, this random office, and Axe and Tobias are right behind him. And he shuts the door immediately because Visor 1 is just standing in the middle of the room. Oh, I want to read my thing now. This is this is from when they, they are uh, giving the traditional summary of the mission and how terrible it is. And it comes from Jake this time, where Jake says, Rachel may be right. We can't have this. Period. We cannot have your control devices in our heads. We're underwater with implants in our brains and psychic Lyran aliens running around. This is seriously not cool. <laughs> I like how um, when Jake tries to do the Marco sum up, it's it's just explaining it straightforward, and he's just so frustrated by it. He's not like making a joke about it or trying to convince anyone or anything. He's just so exasperated. He's just straight up. Yeah, oh, I can imagine his. He's like, no, we, we're the Animorphs. We can't have Yurk implants. This is bad. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to know all of our secrets. This is not rad, guys. This is not rad at all. This does not rock. <laughs> so anyway, back to Marco finding his mom and seeing her face-to-face for the second time in the series. And Marco, for some reason, just like, steps away from his friends as soon as they're all uh in human morph and he's like oh brb guys and he uh just steps into the office that's conveniently occupied by visor one yeah well they're right behind him he shuts the door on their face once he see uh once he sees visor one is in there uh because axes in andalite morph <laughs> it is andalite body well yeah you know that that throws a wrench in the yeah so he he shuts off the he shuts the closes the door as quickly as possible so that she doesn't see that and then he's just standing awkwardly in the room with his mother, who notices him and is like, assumes he's one of these technicians, I guess she probably called, you know, maintenance. He's like, you know, fix the air conditioning or something. Yeah, we need we need four technicians. Where the heck are they? And uh, Marco's, you know, kind of dumbstruck. He can't really talk, but he manages to give her a little excuse that's kind of believable. Blaming Visitor 3, of course. He's an easy yeah. target. <laughs> um, and he's kind of... 
I, he's probably sweating bullets at this point, and uh, and he's oh, yeah. flinching just the fact that he's standing in the same room as his mom. And Visitor One's not stupid; she picks up on this immediately. She chalks it up, luckily, as um, she recognizes his host body because I'm sure her host body is flipping out inside of her. Oh, she is. Yeah, <laughs> she even points out that. She yeah, is. so she she recognizes it and she chalks his uh, awkwardness up to uh, his host body reacting the same way. Interesting scene where she's telling Marco that his mother is just crying and screaming inside of her, and it's just a nonchalant conversation to visit one. Well, yeah, she's like, you know, you need to control your host body better. I'm sure you're aware that you are the bio- your host is the biological son of my host. It's like a VH1 behind the music thing. It's just like a little thing that pops up, a, a little note at the bottom of the screen. It's like, oh, you're you're the son of my host body. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't go so uh, smoothly, mm-hmm. I guess. It's not. She just leaves him right there. She's just basically like, "Hey, control your husband. Yeah, well, I'm out of here. I gotta go deal with these." Yeah, in the background, you're hearing Jake and them whatever fight they're starting, and again, Visor One is just sitting there calmly with Marco while you can hear things blowing up in the background and sirens going off. And... She's she's in the middle of doing Yerk payroll. <laughs> yeah, and she's uh, and she's like, "Oh, I guess just." Fix whatever you're here to fix. I gotta, I gotta run. Check this thing out. Check these Andalite bandits out real quick. Got a war to fight. BRB. <laughs> Stop saying BRB. No. LOL. So Marco walks out the door first, though, and he's scared to death that Axe and Tobias are gonna be there. Or Visor One walks out first, but Marco's like, ugh. Yeah, Marco goes out there and and immediately sees that Tobias and Axe are missing. Luckily, because otherwise Visor One would have seen them. <laughs> Well, yeah, basically. And, you know, this is only for a split second for him to look out the window and see this giant yellow water snake. That's really the only description we're given of Visitor 3's latest morph that's swimming towards the base with his uh, elite evil hork diving squad that I imagine are all in, like, Speedos. <laughs> and they have the uh, they have the uh, Baywatch red kind of uh, lifesaver thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the idea that these crappy diving suits are, uh, like, Horpagir and crappy diving suits are what they've been using on the Liron homeworld so far. And that's why they've got this whole plan in motion with the sharks, because these suck. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> this is the best thing we have. That's like Horpagir with water wings. <laughs> they can't swim. <laughs> Millions of Horpagir drowned in the first wave assault of planet Liron. <laughs> it would be funny if they swam like uh, Dr. Zoidberg. In Futurama. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> it's like a little doggy paddle <laughs> yeah. almost. Yeah, and, and so this, like I said, it literally is just they're gone so that they don't get caught for one thing and so that he can see Visitor 3 and his team coming. Because then he steps into a, another room where Tobias and Axe actually are. And everyone else is like, okay, Mark is here. Cool, let's regroup. Um, we should probably go ahead to help jake's team because they sound like they're getting their asses handed to him right about now <laughs> and uh marco warns him that of course visitor three is on his way because what is an animorphs book without a visit from good old visitor three it's like a visit from santa claus we even have visitor one right here but they're like mm, we should probably throw visitor three in there as well he's he's a staple they at least make a, uh, a fact to point out I-, I can't believe he's here was he supposed to be here or I don't think so. I think this is just a coincidence. <laughs> I like them talking about coincidences. I bet yeah, it is. It's funny, though. It's good. And honestly, this is a major facility for the Yerks, so why not? 
Anyway, so they want to help them out, but instead, Axe hacks the computer and finds out that um, your invasion of Leron isn't isn't going well at all, and that's why they're doing these shark shock troopers uh, to to help them out and and expand their army so they can actually fight a winning battle. Yeah, Axe demonstrates his uh, once again his his plot defying ability to hack and do absolutely anything he wants to with a computer. Well, okay, I mean it's, that's like a central part of his race, though how advanced they are. And I, I imagine every time he walks up to a computer, it's like the 1998 uh, classic with Angelina Jolie hackers, where they're like they walk up to a computer and there's all these 3D landscapes and he's just doing crazy stuff that makes no sense. No, I know. Yes, that's um, that's what he provides. That's how he moves. It's probably the hilarious. <laughs> Nice reference. Yeah, well, while he's in there tooling around doing all this stuff, he uh, he discovers that the, the way to get the implants out of their heads is by uh, blowing up oh. the base, essentially. Flooding it, I guess. But that, that will trigger the liquidation program that they've built into these, these brain monitoring programs. So X goes ahead and, you know, sets the base to self-destruct mode in five minutes. So, yeah, we're, we're moving on here to the climax of this story. This is when, um, you know, it's down to the, the, the crunch time here. We've got five minutes until absolute base implosion and uh, everything's going to be flooded. And they make a point to note out that they will be needing gills. But this is actually pretty risky because they go battle morph to try to help out Jack, uh, Jack, <laughs> to try to help out, to try to help out Jake, Cassie and Rachel, um, you know, in any way. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got a five minute battle timer yeah. here. God, I hate those missions. Once they do get out there and everyone's basically congregating and is it the main Bay area where this whole fight takes place? Probably the big, where the submarine is and stuff. Yeah. I would assume this is probably some kind of, well, yeah, it is because the, the, the water's everybody's there. there. Uh, the opening to the waters there so yeah this is probably in their big uh submarine housing bay they go out and that's where jake cassie and rachel have been fighting for their lives and actually losing at this point until they get there yeah this is a, a kind of a, a huge epic battle going on that we join in progress and uh marco's in his gorilla morph uh always trustworthy for battle scenarios here you know he rushes in to help everybody and uh tangles with a hork and kind of winds up getting sliced pretty bad. And it's all made worse by the fact that Lizard One is standing around screaming for, you know, the hork to kill him, murder him. It's it's just, I can imagine it would be a terrifying scenario while you're fighting this battle for your life, having your just mother of the deceased year mother the screaming corner. at you for your death. She just wants him to be stronger. Yeah, Marco, you know, he manages to fight it off, luckily, but um, he comes face to face with with his, his mother, Visor One, again. And for the second time, manages to not talk to her. So, good for you, Marco. Yeah, yeah, he. I'm proud of him. He managed to resist talking to her once again. Even though that happens, he, he manages to stay strong. Subvisor 475, I'm declaring. The, the one that I assume is on this base, the only Lyran controller there is, <laughs> appears and uh, basically just tries to warn the Visor that it's not an Andalite. And we get this uh, this situation where there's another misunderstanding, and it's all cut off in time before it can be fully explained. Uh, I love that the Animorphs' biggest fear on this mission uh, is the fact that there are controllers with psychic abilities. And the first time that comes up, where a, a Liron has figured them out, is trying to tell Vizzer, one of all people, the actual smart enemy, 
uh, that they have to deal with that, hey, so these aren't Andalites, these are humans. And, and you know, the Vizard, does, the Vizard doesn't even take it seriously. But luckily Mar- Marco gets in there and punches him out before he can say anything that would uh, clarify the situation. The Yurks get in their own way. The This Lyran controller uh, tries to warn the Vizard that it's not an Andalite. Um, before they can all get it pieced together, uh, this one, Vizard 3... Shows up in his giant. This is an awesome scene. Okay, I love this visual. You've got Vizzer, I assume, like, Vizzer 3, like, snakes up really fast. Like, he, like, coils up and he's, like, standing like a cobra or something, like, 20 feet in the air. Oh, this would be an epic 20 feet in the air. He's this huge, yellow, crazy ocean snake. And Vizzer 1 is this little, probably, like, 5 foot 7 older woman, you know, in her late 40s or early 50s or something and she's she is berating and tearing down visitor three like he's a child and she's talking seriously down to him and it's just awesome and the whole time the andalite bandits are sitting right there in various animal wars i mean come on this is an amazing visual oh yeah this this would be a great climax and i think i think uh k applegate and michael grant i think they get (laughs) that any conversation with Vizzer 1 and Vizzer 3 together is going to be hilarious. Like, their political uh, arguments. It's like little... It's like a married couple. Well, yeah, because Vizzer 1 is one of the only characters that we have that actually talks down to Vizzer 3. Everybody else is, you know, scared of and respectful towards Vizzer 3. So it's good that we have a character who's finally saying, you know, what we've (laughs) been saying this whole time. You're an idiot! Yeah, they sit there and they <laughs> bicker like a married couple until the uh, the self-destruct announcement comes on, which kind of rattles them. I love what Visor 3 says right after they hear it, is uh, Visor 1 goes running off to a computer to try to stop it, and Visor 3's like, oh, you better hurry, I hear these Andalites are clever bastards, you know, or something like that. <laughs> clever, they're clever devils when they get a hold of these computers. Like, he doesn't care if the place floods, he can just swim away. He doesn't care. He read book eight. <laughs> they do whatever they want with computers. Uh, yeah, so Visitor 3's uh, attacking the group and uh, manages to catch Axe. Well, Axe trips. Axe, Axe dodges and trips. And that's why Visitor's uh, able to get him in his mouth. Yeah, it wasn't even through skill. Luckily, Rachel takes a hold of Visitor 3's midsection with her grizzly morph and uh, is talks to him, which I thought this was awesome. That uh the first you know human to break their code of silence uh is rachel she's bold enough to understand the situation and and say you know don't make a move or i'm gonna rip you in half yeah well and then immediately after that marco says something pretty snarky before yeah yeah marco's like uh i'm gonna read the scene verbatim so this is marco's perspective obviously i stepped in close took careful aim at the snakehead drew back my arm powered the massive bunch of muscles in my neck and shoulders, put 400 pounds of weight into it, and punched the visor in the nose. Negotiate this, I said, as my fist met the squishy soft snake snout. Negotiate this! <laughs> because they're, cause the visor, th- uh, visor 3 is basically, yeah. he tells Rachel that, we're in a standoff. Uh, this Now we gotta negotiate. And Marco just walks oh, up yeah. and negotiate this, punches him out. And he goes flying, too. He lets Axe go, and he flies into the water, trailing, like, blood all the way. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, they, they successfully managed to de- defeat the Vizzer once again. And uh, immediately everyone's attention is now drawn to Vizzer 1. Yeah, and Rachel Rachel and Axe, they kind of skill, berate uh, Marco for a second for leaving the Vizzer 1 alive when he had a chance to kill her. 
So they run off first. Rachel and X leave, right. and then Jake and Marco, and, and it doesn't really talk about Cassie or Tobias much here. But, <laughs> in fact, I don't think Cassie's mentioned the entire underwater facility. No, yeah, no. But anyway. They're not um, important. <laughs> but she doesn't chime in or anything. It's like they forgot to write her in. <laughs> anyway, so Jake and Marco kind of have, while they're running towards, uh, back to Visitor One's office, Jake tells Marco to go ahead and to do what's right. When Marco says, what should I do? You know, it's my mom, whatever. Jake doesn't tell him one way or the other. You should kill her. You should keep her alive. He just says, do what's right. And Marco gets a lot out of that from, from the look of things. What he feels is right is obviously not kill his mother. <laughs> yeah, but he, he also makes a hard decision. Yeah, he follows them into uh, the their office again where Rachel and Axe kind of have her cornered and outpowered. Yeah, they're about to kill her. Right, but before they can finish her off, uh, Marco kind of jumps in and intervenes and reveals his big secret. And uh, it must seem very strange to Visitor One, who's standing around watching these... Uh, stare at each like other bandits yeah privately thought <laughs> to each other for like um, minutes <laughs> and they yeah so they let her go but she's already done her damage to the computer she overrid the uh self-destruct sequence yeah and they're very again like rachel as soon as as soon as marco reveals that you know it's his, his mother rachel's like Argh! and she throws her and lets her go and lets her live but x is like well are we sure about this you know mm-hmm. he's he's got to question it obviously yeah. So Axe runs over to the computer to try to restart the sequence and have the, you know, facility blow up so they can get these implants out of their heads and obviously stop or at least help out with the Leron invasion. Doesn't really seem like they're a problem in my mind, but whatever. Um <laughs> maybe you should focus on saving Earth before you save another planet. Maybe there's some Leron animorphs who can help out with that one. Sure. Um But before Axe can do anything to get the self destruct sequence going again, uh, Visitor 1 whips out a Dracon beam or goes for the Dracon beam she had. Marco just reacts. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't wait for her to shoot anybody or, or do anything. Uh, he grabs a nearby chair, still in Gorilla Morph, and just throws it as hard as he can towards her. But, either intentionally or unintentionally, he misses. Ooh. He doesn't we even know. We don't know. Uh, and hits the glass wall behind her and shatters, the, or at least makes a crack in it which is enough to the pressure outside to just blow open the window. Yeah, so computer program be damned. <laughs> this flooding is happening, and it happens <laughs> when the plot demands it happens, damn it. This water comes in, hits all of them. It's like fire hose three inches away from their face. And yeah, they're all just <laughs> swept up in it and swept into the main barrier area again outside the offices. And it's uh, it's pretty intense. Even in Gorilla Morph, Marcos almost thinks he's going to die in this scene. Well, yeah, every time they're swept away into shark and controller-infested water, it's uh, not not generally a good it time. It is not. That's not a good time to be an animal, really. Mm. Everybody's getting swept up in the water, and, you know, Marco's kind of struggling in his gorilla morph, and I think they all they all manage to demorph eventually, but uh, Marco does see the the one Liren go swimming after his mother. Yeah, well, she's floating. She's No, no, she's floating uh face down like a ways away and marco wants to go and save her but rachel like grabs him and convinces him to go but the last thing he sees before he gets out of the facility is uh that same subvisor 754 liron uh swimming over to her body so you know could mean she's still alive maybe yeah she is 
Spoilers. We'll we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, so everybody demorphs and uh, goes shark again. And um, there's a little bit more of a, a struggle with some, some ragtag sharks that are still hanging out around the area. And Marco goes a little bit crazy here at the end, as the team tends to do under extreme moments of stress. <laughs> it's actually good that Marco, it's kind of him getting a release. And it's him fulfilling his fantasy of going kind of power crazy with this shark morph. Yeah, and he goes freaking crazy with it and almost ends up attacking his friends. And Jake has to talk him down once more. That's Jake's... His AA sponsor? Yeah. Jake's like his sponsor. Yeah. His Rageaholics <laughs> Anonymous sponsor. They, they they fight off some sharks and, you know, he takes it a little too far. And Jake eventually manages to calm him down. And they figure out that the control vices are destroyed along with the evil underwater base. So... We don't have to worry about those things anymore. The implants in their heads all liquidate and uh, we get kind of a Marco sort of recap where he's reflecting on just what it's like to lose his mother again. Again. This yeah, is like the he's, third time he's struggling he's lost with the mother. idea that um, whether she's actually dead or not again. Like, can he let this go? Uh, can he move on? Uh, and he's just trying to decide whether he thinks she's actually dead. And during this, Rachel... Uh, you know, Rachel knows the secret now, and I think it's heavily implied that, you know, Cassie and Tobias are not going to be far off in learning this. Well, yeah, that's what he suspects is that immediately they're they're all going to know now. Uh, although I don't, know I think it's probably I, I, if I would bet anything, it's out. not going to be in a book. It's just between this book and the next book, they'll figure it out. Yeah. So they'll, they'll before that know. though, yeah. um, Rachel mentions that uh, or she she tries to talk to Marco at first. And he's not having any of that. Uh, but she mentions she hears the sub. And she actually does it in such a way that he doesn't think it's like her just placating him. Um, she actually, you know, thinks she hears something. Yeah, he, he thinks maybe she's uh, she's pitying me here. But she manages to spin it into a nice little uh, <laughs> flirting session almost. That's what I call it. Yeah, she goes. Whatever they I, do, I like that how it's written because she goes into her exact normal way of teasing him she's just as harsh and that's what he needed that's what he wanted he just didn't want to be pitied yeah so good on you rachel you did a good deed and it really ties into uh, a little bit earlier in the book when uh, marco's trying not to freak his teammates out on the mission by by acting how he normally acts and uh you know he just points out i'm, I'm giving them what they want so i'm making fun of tobias and <laughs> quipping with rachel that could be a side series quipping with rachel <laughs> quipping with rachel coming this fall to tnn anyway so that yeah i mean that's uh the last thing we get is and jake you know jake is very aware of how marco feels about his mom and not wanting to be pitied and everything but he can't help himself he says i'm only gonna ask this once but are you doing all right buddy you okay and marco you know he's struggling with whether his mom's actually believe alive or not he's normally a fairly cynical person uh, so it's kind of nice here at the very end, Marco. He says, yeah, Jake, but I'll be a lot better once she's free. So he, he decides to believe that she's still alive and that he can save her. I thought that was a nice little ending. Like, we didn't need another bookend scene like we normally get. We end right here, right after the mission. I, I like that. Yeah, it, it was a good ending. Mm -hmm. I have no qualms about the ending. So, okay. Well, that is, that's the book. That's it. Well, yeah, let's escape the discussion and dive into our reviews. Very clever. <laughs> 
Wondering which roller coaster has the highest top speed? Or what exhibit is our guide's favorite in the park? Just ask them. They love to share their opinions and critical analysis to help you better plan your day. Uh, I'm going to do my review first for once. How about that? Because I feel like yours is um, the okay. what we're waiting for. It's the, mysteri- it's the mysterious one. I have no <laughs> idea what you're going to give it at this point. I really don't. Oh, all right. All right, so The Escape. So I have uh, I have somewhat mixed feelings on this book. I read it. Uh, I love the plot. I, I love the general mythology building we do in this book. A lot more of Marco's mom, which is just excellent all the way through. Love, 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 love that whole plot line throughout the series. And this is a pivotal book in that. I mean, this is where he more confronts her and deals with her. I mean, the last time he was so mixed up with his feelings on just finding out his mom was alive, there wasn't a lot happening there uh, as far as his personal interaction with her. This one, you have a scene where they're talking about their host body's relationship. And uh, I mean, it's just, you know, definitely a lot more building on that. And uh, I think there's a lot of great scenes here with Marco. I think the the pool scene is, is really great, him and Jake and uh, him dealing with just everything in this book. I think it's a it's also uh, a good book for the sense that it veers off from the normal Marco plight where he's worried about his dad or he's worried about dying or being an animorph or anything like that. Uh, we get into the more of the meat and potatoes and why he is an animorph is to save his mom. And his struggles with that and his struggles as an animorph in general uh, are way more interesting in this book. I think it's uh, a really, really great focus on that. We do have some weird scenes like the ocean world thing that's a little crazy. And I actually do like the opening Rainforest Cafe or Amazon Cafe uh, opening. It's just kind of a funny little side mission for them that they all think is pretty harmless. But um, it's a good opening for the book. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've read this book before and I liked it a lot in the past. But I really like this book. I think it's one of the better ones we've run across so far. And there's nothing crazy special about it. It's not like exceedingly clever or funny or anything, even for a Marco book. I think it is well written for the most part, and uh, it does follow the kind of generic and more structure for the most part as well. But there's so many elements in this book I like. The mythology stuff isn't just good pivotal moments. I think the mythology is really built into the plot and the character development in this book, which I think is the best mythology books, not where they just move the overall mythology of the series forward, but it's actually an important part of this book and the character growth. Uh, For those reasons, I would give this book a low, low 4 out of 5 Amazon Cafe appetizers. 4 out of 5. Ooh. A low 4 out of 5. Wow. You know what's funny is is you thought we were all divided on our opinions of this book because when uh, when I had first finished reading it, I, I gave you a call. And I think the tone of that conversation was I was a little bit disappointed. I came off as sounding a little disappointed to you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, that was because I had went into this book with certain expectations because I, I have read it back in my, my days of youth, but I, I hadn't read it since. So I remembered a couple of things about it. I remembered, you know, the the head implants when they're hammerhead sharks and obviously the fact that they encounter Visor 1 again. Um, I was expecting a little bit more development with uh, with Marco and his mom in this one. Honestly, I thought this was uh, one where he finally made contact with her as mother and son. Oh, wow. And I think that's why I was a little bit let down by the ending where it just kind of reset the whole clock on their relationship where it's like, well, now he had her and he lost her again. This is the third time. Marco needs to keep better track of his mom. apparently. <laughs> because I just found out, uh, I looked this up right before we started, 
the next Visor One book, I believe, is not until book thirty. What? That's the reunion. Wow. Yes, book thirty is the next Visor One book. Um, that's we're on book fifteen. That's book thirty. That's fifteen more books, mm-hmm. bro. Until we get any more Visor One goodness. Hey, we really needed to, you know, play out those Helmicron plot lines before we could get back to this. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so knowing that I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that we didn't get a little bit more development Mm. in that area, but no, uh, what I was going to say is that I can't believe at first how much you thought I was disappointed by this book, because I genuinely agree with absolutely everything you said. I think this is a, a a good book. It's a, it's a good book. I, I deem it even somewhat important to the canon of the series since we get a lot more character development, particularly between Marco and... Uh, even Tobias gets a lot of character development. Um, and I feel like he's becoming a much more well-rounded character now that he's more involved in the action. He, he's showing a lot more mm-hmm. personality. Rachel is finally becoming the psychopath <laughs> that we will know her as throughout the rest yeah. of the series. She is all about battles and fighting in this book. That's all of her, that's her solution for everything is violence. Um, she's, she's definitely transforming into the, the iconic Rachel and it's 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 a fun book. I mean, I had a good time reading it. The dolphin rodeo thing is is hilarious. It's an instant classic. It's it's everything an Animorphs book probably should be, um, and it's slightly better than filler. So for that reason, I'm actually sitting exactly where you're sitting, my bro, and I'm gonna give it four doggy paddling hork <laughs> out of five. Yes, out of a possible five doggy paddling hork <laughs> So we, we didn't come off too different. You, you really played it up like um, you were like, you didn't like this book. You hated this book. Like you were you were playing that up a little bit. That's because just coming off of it where I was expecting, I was like, I think this is the book where Marco like finally gets to talk to his mom without the Yurk in there and not getting that and just like being like, nope. It's like they were dangling Vizzer one on a string in front of us and then they just pulled yeah. it away and they're like, nope. 15 more books. No, I thought Aww. it'd be way too I thought it'd be way too early for that interaction, but uh but I agree. Yeah, maybe I did expect a little more. Um but I do think this is kind of a uh, quintessential uh Animorphs book just in the sense that it hits all the points an Animorphs book should. It may have not have like blown me away, but uh but it really covered the bases and I think it it did them well, just not like amazingly. I... I feel as though it is, um, we're starting to repeat ourselves a little bit here in some of the tropes, especially, you know, in the investigative part here where they're showing up at locations and immediately being discovered by human yeah. controllers and then they're chased and then everyone winds up completing whatever task it was they came to do. It's, it's, we've seen some of this stuff before. We've seen it straight from book one. That's the plot of the gardens in book one. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And, you know, I as long as they keep finding more and more original ways to do that, I'll be okay with it. But if we keep repeating the same thing over and over again, I think I'm going to tire of it pretty quickly. Especially if it's always human controllers are conveniently at this location that they need to infiltrate and Visitor 3 is going to be showing up around the clock. It has surprised me um, that pretty much every single book has had Visitor 3 at the end. It's like we don't... I think it's like the like a Darth Vader scenario. It's like they think that he's such an iconic villain and such an antagonist. They're they're afraid to write a book where they're just dealing with Yerks in general. Like it's got to be Visor Three, I, and I know they're going to grow out of that because we have books coming up within one or two books where 
barely anyone is involved except you know like some random york uh like talking about cassie's number 19 departure that's cassie and one single york in the woods for an entire book no other tropes no scouting mission no anything it's just her trapped in the woods with a york it sounds like a good time weekend at cassie's it throws the conventions completely out the window visitor three never shows up uh you know fight off a jaguar i mean it's just it's crazy so yeah i think they i think they feel you on that i think the authors probably feel very similar to you in that they're like okay we're starting to repeat ourselves how can we really mix it up and i think they really mix it up in the next few books (laughs) granted the next book the warning i've never read so i don't know i was going to point out the next book number 16 the warning with uh jake turning into a rhino Mm -hmm. on the cover I, I think this is probably a book I read once in my youth and never again. I don't really recall what it's about. I'm psyched to finally get Rhino Morph, though. Yeah, I've never read the book because I always wondered when I read the David trilogy. It's like, wait, when did everybody get Rhino Morphs? Um, yeah, so I, I'm excited to read that book for this just to get that Rhino Morph. It's, it's one that I constantly wonder why they don't use it more. I, I thought it would be super overpowered. So I'm. Well, it's because they're like practically blind. Every time they describe them, they're super blind. Makes a lot of sense. Anyway, that's our review of book number 15, The Escape. Uh, we've Gosh, I cannot believe we've done over 15 episodes so far. Yeah, that's crazy. And we've got a good 40 more to do. <laughs> yeah, cannot wait. Yep. Especially for the books that I haven't read yet. Like, now we're getting into this, like, less familiar territory mm-hmm. to me. And it's it's becoming a lot more fun. After book 23, I'm going to start pointing out the books that I have read, not the books that I haven't. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, oh, yeah, I have read this one before. Yeah. Hey. All the plot essential ones, basically. Filler ones, we skipped them. Yeah, I, I literally went from like book 24, 25 to 41. And then the next one I read after that was like 51. <laughs> I missed quite a few. Wow, yeah, it, it, it'll be a good time. We promise you, good times ahead on Probably. Thoughts. Oh, that's not true. I also read the Super uh, super Rachel Krayak Return and Return of David book and a couple others. Really? Yeah. Huh. Anyway, so, okay, so let's go to trivia. You want to go to trivia? Trivia, let's do it. There are some fun facts about the gardens that normal visitors don't usually get to hear. Don't worry, though. Your guides know all of the secrets this park has to offer, and they're dying to tell them to you. Okay, it's trivia time. This is trivia, provided by Cyropedia. A thought speak subsidiary. <laughs> this is the second book in which all six of the Animorphs acquire the same new morph. Oh. Um, r- right after uh, the unknown with the horses. Who knows? And there's this big one here. This marks the first book where the Animorphs begin to talk to Visitor 3 and the other Yurks directly. Prior to this, X had always acted as their spokesperson in case they said or did something that would give away their non-Andalite natures. But here, Rachel directly addresses Visitor 3 when he attempts to eat X while in Snake Morph. Marco also speaks to him, but given that he spoke as he was punching Visitor 3's snake form, the Visitor may have been unconscious before he registered what Marco was saying to him. <laughs> Cassie has spoken before, though only briefly. Yeah. This is the book when the walls come down and they decide to take the risk of speaking directly. Oh, so we have that to look forward to. Yeah, that'll be great. Spoilers, Seropedia. I'm I'm looking forward to character development between Visitor 3 and the Animorphs proper, like them speaking back and forth. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, you know what? That that's true. I would actually really like a little bit of something. You know, like sometimes they uh, these these series that run for long periods of time will do the uh, the classic episode type where the the good guys have to team up with the bad guys to do some arbitrary task. Obviously, the uh, Andalite Chronicles use that plot device. Uh, so does point. so does some other books. So maybe don't get too excited about that. Not well, I can't wait to see the <laughs> Marco teaming up with Visor Three episode. <laughs> um, I mean, it is uh, it is kind of disappointing to me that we never got a book from Visor Three's perspective on how he sees the Andalite Pandas. I think that's a perspective I actually would have wanted to be a part of the series. No, that should that should have been Visor Two or Alaron Chronicles or, or something. The Visor Chronicles. Because yeah, I mean, the way he his relationship with the Animorphs. I think he's a little better than a cookie cutter villain. I mean, he obviously he has a lot of the tropes of the big mani- uh, maniacal uh, antagonist and like old school. All they have to do is do one book from his perspective with his internal monologuing and just show him to be crazy as hell and paranoid beyond belief and just terrified of failing. Yeah, just like insane rationalizations for doing crazy things and just his mind warping whenever he thinks of the Animorphs and he seeing them as like rivals and really building them up. Like, oh, I must be fighting these warriors who are princes, every single one of them, and, uh, you know, terrified of what oh, they're yeah. doing. Oh, that, yeah, that's like all he's doing. As he's failing constantly across the board and just becoming more and more crazy, he's building up his enemies to be like these elite Andalite tacticians. He's going through like military records in the Andalite fleet. Like, oh, I bet I bet this one is this guy. He's He's got service record as long as my arm, and... That's probably, he's like got this crazy like psycho wall of uh, Andalite newspaper clippings and all these strings, you know, piecing it together, trying to figure out who the Andalite bandits are. <laughs> <laughs> this wall of crazy. Right. There's one last trivia thing here. It's just that the Liren homeworld is referred to as Liren in this book, but in book number 18, The Decision, it is actually called Lyra. So they changed that. And I thought that was kind of weird, too, as I was reading it. Um, I kind of glossed over that part where they, they mentioned something about, oh, uh, you know, back on, on Liren. And I thought, oh, the, the, the planet is actually called Liren? I thought it would be called Lyra. Hmm. How weird is that, that we get an actual name at some point in the series for Lyra, but yet the Horkwajir home planet, the Andalite home planet, and the Yurk home planet never get names. Right, I know. Isn't that weird? It's just because that's how they were introduced. It's how they were first introduced, and I don't know. I don't know why they never decided to go back and just call it, like, Euroka or something. Andalasia. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's more personal. Like, to speak offhandedly about the Andalite home world, maybe that makes it more um, familiar than to actually give it, a, like, a technical name. I don't know. Well, and maybe uh, for something like the Andalite homeworld, maybe whenever an Andalite thought speaks the sentence that contains the Andalite homeworld, what they're actually saying in their Andalite language is the name that's not thought speak. Yeah, would be the proper word for Andalite homeworld. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that. Oh, Klatu Nerata Victu. Oh, nice, Klatu. I like how you named it off of the uh, Day the Earth Stood Still enemy. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I was making a Evil Dead reference, an Army of Darkness reference. Oh, nice! You made a double reference. Good job. <laughs> uh, well, that's all. That's all pretty interesting trivia. Not bad. Good, good find this week. 
So yeah, that that is the uh, trivia for the escape, and that is actually all I have for you, my good gentle sir. And this would be the part where we would move into comments and emails. But unfortunately, we have not released uh, our last episode, The Unknown, at this point of recording. We're kind of recording a little early because Mitch decided that he wanted to see what's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And he's not going to be with us for the next two weeks. Well, yeah, we say that at the time of recording, I I will be gone for two weeks. But the intention here is that this episode comes out uh, maybe a week and a half, two weeks from now. And then we never even skip a beat, and my honeymoon doesn't have to affect the flow of the podcast. That's what we're hoping. We'll see. Yeah, so you we should be... got to get the unknown released. So when you listen to this, hopefully a week from when you're listening, we'll have another new episode. But we're recording this super early, and I'm just going to edit it sometime next week. So that's the plan, <laughs> dear listeners. But because of that... The secret life of podcasters. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately that means we don't have any comments or reviews new yet. But uh, you guys are still chiming in about the Andalite Chronicles, so keep talking. That's I, I love how you guys are reacting to that episode. I, I'm glad it came out all right. Yeah, we uh, we love uh, we love all matter of of chat coming our way. Yep. Uh, so I think that's it. I don't think we have another section to talk about. So that's the episode. Join us next time for number sixteen, The Warning. It should be a good one. I am really excited for that. Uh, any book that I haven't read before. Super pumped. So thank you for listening. Uh, We do hope you check out our website, www.thoughtspeakcast.com. You can email us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter at Morphcast. And you can also send us comments on Reddit. We post there every week. Uh, Whenever we release a new episode, we'll post on Reddit. And and we both jump on there and generally talk to people and and chat back and forth with them. So uh, reddit.com backslash r backslash animorphs exactly yeah there and uh, also we have a facebook go there like it do whatever you can oh join us on facebook we post there first honestly if you want to know when the episode's going to be out the first place you should go is our facebook page yeah that and twitter whenever you post on the facebook page i'll usually update twitter too like saying we just recorded or something like that so those are the two that are the most reliant to figure out what our schedule is and if we're being held up for some reason or whatnot so you know, I, I would totally be down for uh, uh, posting to the Facebook first and then, like, waiting an hour to post to Reddit so people will only know when the episode's ready to go if they come and check our Facebook. That way the true fans can uh, get on board. And I think, actually, at this point, I have more Twitter followers on our Twitter than we do have Facebook likes. Really? We've got, like, 60-some, I think, on Facebook. Tell me, Mitch, so, like, how many times has the author of the series uh, contacted you on Facebook? Because I've been contacted by both authors on Twitter. So, <laughs> just, just throwing that out there. Oh, is it a competition? Because you run the Twitter and I run the Facebook? It is, and I'm winning. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> That's because Grant and Applegate don't Facebook. You don't know that. You're just throwing out wild, baseless assumptions right now. You have no they idea. They know nothing of the technology. They probably use them all the time. Anyway, so also, can't stress it enough. I know we harp on about this. iTunes Reviews. We need more of them. We want to be featured. We want more people to find out about the podcast. The only way we can do that is if you jump on iTunes for two seconds and hit one of those little star ratings. Uh, the more more ratings we have, the better. It takes five seconds to do. If you want to take... If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes already, you might as well just go into the little tab and write the little review. Just Yeah, you want to take ten seconds and write, you know, good job, guys, I'm a listener, uh, and write a review for you that. You got me. 
I mean, that's that's you, incredibly you've helpful. You've acquired me. Yeah, and we we will shout out and praise your name to the to the heavens if we see you come in there with a review. So jump on there, guys. Leave us a review. I know every podcast in the entire world asks for iTunes reviews, but we're better than them, and we're trying to reboot the Animorphs franchise. Surely you can get on board with that. So if you'd like that as well, tell us by giving us a star rating or and or leaving a review on iTunes. Hashtag bringing it back. <laughs> So yeah, that's our episode. Uh, join us next week, as we said, for the warning. Uh, episode number seventeen, book number sixteen. Ooh, don't 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 guess at the episode <laughs> yeah. number. Let's stick with the book number. I don't know. What episode episode 34? thirty-four. Episode thirty-seven. <laughs> thirty-seven. Um, anyway, so yeah, we we appreciate you listening and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. We will see you next week. Peace out, y'all. My name's Mitchell, and my name's Coleman. Have a good one, everybody. On behalf of everyone here at the gardens, we hope you've enjoyed your stay and welcome you to come and see us again soon. Or, as they say on the Serengeti, Tafadali Emtu, Kupata Jambo, Hilienje, Yakichua Yangyu.